Paris Perspective. Hello and welcome to this edition of Paris Perspective with me, David Coffey. The COVID pandemic revealed the fragility of supply chains across the globe, and when the lockdowns fell like dominoes, the accessibility of commodities that had been taken for granted until then was turned on its head. Delivery teams became frontline workers overnight as they risked their lives to keep supermarket shelves stocked and take out orders in motion as the world battened down the hatches as the disease took hold. Even now, the global economy is still reeling from the impact of COVID-19 and what it had on logistics of getting anything from A to Z. Although the chinks in the chain were exposed by the pandemic, the bigger issue of decarbonizing the way goods are transported poses an even greater existential challenge to world trade in the long term. Now, today I'm joined by Ruben Fischer, the freight program manager with the Shift Project Ecological Think Tank and co-author of the report Securing Freight in a Finite World. Ruben, thanks for joining me on Paris Perspective today. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Well, let's take a look at France. I mean, in France, in the last 60 years, since 1960, freight has tripled in the country. Road freight, according to your report, accounts for 90% of the goods transportation market. And of that 90%, 95% of that market are reliant on fossil fuels. So in these times of crisis... Post-COVID, what is happening in Ukraine, what is happening with the global economy in general, how do we keep our eye on the bigger picture of taking carbon out of that sector, out of the supply chain? How can we transport goods with a limited or finite amount of energy in the future here in France? Hmm. Um, I think that the, the last point that you raised was probably the most important and the most immediate one, which is the finite amount of energy. Um, when we were re- working on this aspect of the report in 2020, uh, starting from 2020, it wasn't the most immediate factor. Uh, so when we were discussing this with the um, different actors of the sector uh, that we worked with, there was a kind of polite listening, but, but nothing much else. And now it's become um, a very immediate concern, both in terms of finance. Um, petrol in France is, um, has a 30 uh, cent subsidy from the state, and some petrol companies uh, offer another 20 cent subsidy. So we're looking at a world where all of a sudden energy is in short supply and the French government is communicating on the risks of power disruptions Mm -hmm. and fossil fuel, in particular liquid fossil fuel for our vehicles, is also being subsidized at a rate of almost 25% of the cost. These are really surprising um, constraints and also opportunities Mm. All of a sudden, when the problem is the cost and I may not have any energy anymore, well, all of those stories about "Mm, how could I be a little bit more frugal, they all of a sudden take a much more immediate sense than they did uh, a few months ago. Now, in the report, uh, we won't go into the nitty gritty of it, but I'm kind of laying the uh, the ground for our um, viewers and our listeners uh, to Power's perspective. There are four main proposals, and that is planning, territorialising, that's a bit of a gallicism, uh, electrification of, well, both vehicles and uh, the motorways, and the railways and waterways, the use of the rail and uh, water infrastructures that are here in, uh, in France. But looking at that final point about the use of waterways, 2022 was one of the hottest on record and a succession of droughts 
devastated crops across the country, but also the waterways with the barges that weren't able to pass through these waterways. They had to cut into a fraction the tonnage of what was being put normally onto barges because the water levels were so low they couldn't move. Now, how... Now, you said there about fuel that wasn't necessarily top of the agenda before the the gas or the Russia um, gas flow crisis. But how now with drought that we saw in 2022, can we mitigate or how can we future proof against um, uh, the the future of waterways and keeping, well, transport off the roads? Mm. Um, there's probably two two levels of answers that I'd like to um, dwell upon. The first one is the general picture. Um, we were discussing this topic with a, um, another journalist during the summer, and her introduction was, okay, so the roads are melting, the railway tracks are being deformed and, under the heat, and there's not enough water in the waterways, so how are we going to get food to the cities, um, which I thought was quite a, a good summary. So although this summer waterways were probably more impacted than the other things, um, than the other infrastructure, sorry, uh, we did have to water, I, I don't remember the name of the bridge in Paris, but in order uh, for it to keep its structure. So it's not as if extreme heat and or drought wasn't going to affect all of the different infrastructures, mm-hmm. albeit in different ways. And yes, you're right, there, there were particular restrictions in terms of uh, inland waterway use. Um, there were some that were closed, I think, completely. And there were other restrictions which were to reduce capacity, I think, to 30%. So you're right. Yeah. Um, as a very operational, um, probably not solution, but answer, uh, the maintenance of the waterways and ensuring that they don't uh, fill up with mud and that we can keep the water level as deep as necessary for the boats to flow through, that's probably my kind of immediate short-term answer. Indeed, fair enough. I think it was uh, there were waterways in Burgundy that were uh, shut down and specifically, I think, coming in because the Rhine itself had dried up so much. Mm, I mean, um, the, the, the report, um, however, that uh, it was released in March, just uh, for our listeners and viewers to, um, to, 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 to be well, brought up to speed, um, the report proposes now... Let's look at urban deliveries here. You know, we're, go- we're going, let's say, from the, the canal systems, then getting things within the one last kilometre. Uh, the report it proposes that all urban deliveries be done by electric transport within the next five years, which is a very ambitious goal. But, I mean, a question is, since COVID, we've, we've seen a dramatic shift since the pandemic, I would say. Are we, am I being a bit too uh, optimistic here, but are we well on our way to achieving that goal already? I mean, the deliveries and everything we see from cargo bikes to electric deliveries, it seems that the, 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 it's gathering a pace. Okay, it's definitely gathering a pace, as you say. Are you being too optimistic? Mm, I, I'm not sure, but it's certainly not the case everywhere. So, mm-hmm. so, so Paris is probably a very interesting example, but it's also probably ahead of the crowd. Um, and I'm not sure we're seeing the same things in all of the big cities throughout France. Fr- fr- uh, Paris has the objective of um, being zero diesel vehicles in 2024. So we're looking at just over a 12 months period. So in that sense, the transition that we're seeing in Paris um, is probably an example for other cities to follow. Um, One of the aspects, two two aspects. The first one is in our report, um, we do emphasize the fact that all of deliveries in vehicles should be electrified. However, we also stress the fact that wherever possible and as much as possible, we should replace those vehicles by cargo bikes, um, both in terms of energy efficiency and, and, and yeah, mainly in terms of energy efficiency. Um, and that requires big operational changes within all the companies. It also requires infrastructure for the people who are on the bikes to be able to, to shower after work, for example, like basic things. But if there's no workspace, then you can't really do it. 
will that be done in the next five years? Mm, Yes, in some places, but probably not in all of the big cities in France, unfortunately. Sure, it will take a time to get out of the the the, the, the place that is Paris and over time to the uh, the more regional uh, hubs. Uh, that is that is obvious. Uh, in fairness, there's a very very interesting graphic that you have in the report of all of the the radial points of where the last kilometres would be ro- rolled out, and uh, it uh, it is a very interesting, I suppose you could say, project here that uh, the the Mairie de Paris have been really uh, undertaking over the last few years. Um, another thing that really I found striking and I think it's kind of almost like peer pressure or um, is the what it's proposed as well is the training and certification uh, is a path um, for the decarbonisation of the freight industry. I mean, it kind of goes hand in hand with personal and commercial reluctance to leave a carbon footprint, if I'm uh, not wrong. Um, Have you remarked on any certain surge in a peer pressure when it comes to the way goods are delivered, where people will not accept or companies won't accept uh, to actually go with a, a delivery unless it is carbon neutral? In a way, yes. Um, f- from a, from an end customer point of view, um, there were surveys that were carried out, and I think a majority of customers would like to have a, a greener delivery. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that rate goes down as soon as the end, end customer has to pay more or has to pay because some deliveries still are kind of considered as free. Yeah. But I do think that that we are witnessing a form of change. But obviously, it depends on on your level of, of living or the, or the financial uh, capacity that you have. And in terms of the the shops that are getting stuff delivered, um, yes, we do see um, some companies who deliver products that do not have to be delivered very quickly. Um, So, I mean, I suppose that's probably a majority of products. But we do see companies saying they are looking for suppliers. They are looking for delivery solutions that are green, that are uh, low emissions, if possible, on all of the supply chain and not just on the last kilometer, but because of the extreme visibility of all the urban deliveries, then yes, there is some form of peer pressure. And we do hope that in the same way as um, if we hark back to the period when there was a hole in the ozone layer, so I'm old enough to remember, but maybe not everybody is. Uh, But at the time, uh, companies resisted. And then all of a sudden, the first company that went to CFC free um, became a kind of main player on the market. So I hope, and I actually do think, that we may experience something similar in terms of deliveries. Indeed, we hope that uh, that same Elan comes back in. I do remember it indeed, the uh, the 1980s was the, the big ozone hole that was uh, scaring everyone to death. Um, now, one thing, I think you kind of touched on it there about the deliveries when they're arriving. You've got different types of delivery. Maybe they be, you know, they be, may amount of a shelf life. Uh, they, they could be taking longer. But another thing that, that comes to the fore um, for the decarbonization of freight is also maximizing the use of the space when things are being delivered by freight. Now, I just know from experience with container ships that travel internationally, uh, you pay for every cubic meter of whatever you're putting into a container ship. And when it comes off at the port, you've, you know, you've paid top dollar or top euro um, mm. for every space of that container to, to be used. And that's, of course, with long distance, um, you know, transcontinental freight. But once those cargo ships are unloaded, um, is it not the case that once they come off the ships that, they're, that the, 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 the use of space is optimized? So once they come off the ships, are they just literally thrown in the back of vans and there's another extra 80% of cubic meters that aren't used? 
No, it's not exactly um, like that. So I can't compare to international shipping because I haven't worked on that sector. Sure. But um, if we talk about an expression that's used in, in, in logistics, which is uh, cutoff time, mm. that's basically saying at what time, whatever vehicle it is, needs to leave. And we're talking about the time and we're not talking about the fill rate. So we're saying that basically that vehicle has to leave at a certain time because it has to arrive at the next point at a certain time, whether it's full or, or, or half full or almost um, a little bit empty. Yeah. Obviously, all of the transportation companies um, would like to increase their efficiency because that's where the, the financial um, gain comes from. But if, if the pressure is predominantly on the lead time and therefore you're working towards a cutoff time, whether the truck is full or not, truck or whatever vehicle, yeah. then that's, that's, the, that's the main point and not the fill rate. Now, again, a bit harking back to um, your report, uh, there's something that maybe might give a little frisson up the spines of anybody who's had to deal with uh, bureaucracy, be it French, uh, European or otherwise. Um, there's the proposal of the establishment of a logistics ministry. How exactly would this work? This isn't like another quango that could just put a spanner in the works. Tell us how you see a logistics ministry making things flow easier. Hmm. Okay. Um, so there's almost two different questions. How would it work? Is a little bit different from how would it flow easily? So I'll try and answer how would it <laughs> or work. Or make if, things if flow okay. easily. I mean, if, let's <laughs> okay. just say the, 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 no, the no. goal would be to make things flow easily. Sure. Well, I think actually um, the goal would be to ensure that all of the actors in the private sector do decarbonize. Mm. Um, so... Uh, our point of view, sorry, this isn't our point of view. The, the facts are that in France, the whole of the transportation sector, so including passengers and uh, goods, is the la largest sector of emissions in France. It's 30% roughly. And it's the only sector whose emissions haven't gone down since 1990. Mm. So we're looking at a whole sector, which for lots of different reasons, um, is the only one, is the standout factor where emissions haven't gone down. We potentially think that if this is a serious problem, and apparently it's the most serious problem in terms of emissions not going down, then the government needs to give a certain um, uh, uh, constraint, but that's not the word I'm looking for. The, 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 the government needs to give us a, a level playing field so that all of the actors know that this is, for example, the finite amount of energy that we have to move all of our goods from one place to the other. And it that can only be done at a government level. And then the idea is once we have that uh, high-level roadmap that's given by the government, in the same way as being done by Europe for um, emissions of new cars that are put on the market, we would duplicate that, giving all of the actors uh, visibility over a five- or ten-year period, and each region in France or each big city, or whatever level it, it goes down to, would be able to work with the local actors to say, right, well, this is what you're currently emitting – and this is the trend that you need to respect in the five or ten years to come. Okay, so let's hope that uh, <laughs> indeed they can bring all of those uh, those uh, factors and all of those uh, players together under the one umbrella. Yes. Um, now we're trying to look at the end goal here. The date that uh, many people are now referring to uh, back, you know, 20 years ago was Millennium Goals. And now 2050 seems to be the, uh, the, 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 the target for when mentioning anything or future proofing any uh, plans. Um, now, if everything in the shift project toolbox that we've brought up today or that uh, you have mentioned in your report, if all of those um, tools in the toolbox are used and energy consumption 
consumption, according to you, could be reduced by 80%, freight emissions by 96%, which is an incredible uh, reduction. How much will this all cost? What is the biggest challenge when it comes to budgeting for reaching these goals? Okay. My answer is going to seem extremely non-professional, but I don't know. Um, and the reason I don't know is that within the report, we worked with the physical constraints, which are basically energy and limited supply, and we need to respect a maximum amount of emissions. And the how much it costs, I'm not saying that it's not important, but it is secondary. Mm. If the aim is to decarbonize and to ensure that we can maintain an enjoyable society with a limited amount of energy, then the question of how much it costs, mm, it's probably not the main question, actually. Yes, it needs to be worked out. Yes, it needs to be budgeted. The only um, other aspect that we worked on um, was what will, the, what will the impact of these transformations be on employment, yeah. which seemed to be necessary both in terms of who do we need to train now in order to make sure that these changes happen, and who do we need to, to train now because potentially some of those jobs are going to disappear. Um, but the how much it costs, yeah, we had to look at some of the costs in terms of infrastructure um, for electric motorways, for example, for um, um, railways. But we didn't work on the, the total cost of, of all of the transformations for the next 25 years. Indeed, just reading through it there, I was going to put to you, uh, is the move towards electric, electrification the biggest challenge or the biggest cost off the top of your head? Um... Um, yes, it might be, um, but we didn't work on the quantification of the cost of training, for example. So yeah. if, if we are saying that we're going to train uh, the several million people who work in the logistics center, that could probably be a little bit pricey too, uh, so I, I, I can't really answer. I, I hear you. No, that's a very interesting point indeed. It's also the workforce and uh, the training and, of course, you know, everything from uh, the salaries to the unions yeah. and you know, keeping ourselves in a stable uh, modern democratic society. Um, now, Definitely. finally, uh, Ruben, um, in your report um, and at the end of your report, you gave, you put forward uh, what you called a techno-optimist's uh, hypothesis for 2050. Can you tell us what the good news might be? <laughs> um, that we don't need it. <laughs> that you don't need it. Yes, so I'll, I'll try and develop a little bit. Um, we, we worked on, on um, three scenarios, which were um, why do we have to bother with trying to be frugal and save energy? Why don't we just like make everything electric and won't that solve the problem? So the, the quick answer was no, but we'd, we tried to explain why in terms of the amount of energy consumption. The second thing was why don't we just uh, use hydrogen and other biofuels, for example? Um, and the answer was also in terms of energy consumption, because the work that we carried out on the freight report was part of an overall work which was carried out on, on all of the main sectors of the French economy, the, probably not all, but, but very many. And so from, from a kind of holistic point of view, the, the idea was we only have a certain amount of energy to share between all of us. And therefore, each of the sectors had to choose the options which allowed um, the service or the products to be made or the service to be delivered with the, the, the least amount of energy. And so the techno-optimistic solution um, could, could be fun, but the amount of energy it used was three times more than the, the solution that we have put forward. Okay. So basically having fun will cost you a lot more and will be detrimental to the planet. But in, at the end of the day, once everybody pulls together, it's going to be for the greater good. It'll all work out. 
Yeah, if I would try to summarize our point of view, it, it's I don't think we we often refer to it in this term, but but we, so we talk about air and water as a common good. Yeah. Well, if we think of energy or the amount of energy that we have as a common good for for each sector, then yes, each of us has to use as little as possible as little as possible. Sorry, mm-hmm. um, in in order to maximize the overall efficiency of the whole of, well society or sector. And indeed, that is a very good point uh, you've made there at the end of our conversation. We have to change the way uh, we think about our use of energy. Uh, Ruben Fisher, freight uh, programme manager with the Shift Project Think Tank and co-author of the report Securing Freight in a Finite World. Thank you for joining me on Paris Perspective today. My pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. And thank you for joining us today. I'll be back in two weeks' time with another edition of Paris Perspective. And as always, you can access all of our archives on RFI English forward slash podcasts or indeed wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to you soon.